0: during a lunch or dinner of that week, just sign up and we'll be in contact uh, with you. So thank you uh, so very much for that. If you have a Bible, uh, we are in Exodus chapter number two. Exodus chapter number two. Man, my heart's excited. Whew. Uh, if you're with us for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time, we have uh, started a journey through the book of Exodus, but we're not just trying to read Exodus, we're trying to see how Exodus fits into the storyline of Scripture and how it points us to Jesus. Now, we're about to end, we're about to come to the end of chapter number two. And so, if I can just give you some context, a little bit of understanding where we're at. In Exodus 2, the scene has shifted many times. We start in the home of Moses, where his mother hid him for three months. The scene shifted to the Nile River uh, where Moses' mother placed him in the river and the princess of Egypt pulled him out. The scene shifts back to Moses' house where his mother raises him for a short time before handing him over uh, to the palace where Moses spends uh, up to the first 40 years of his life. And we saw last week when Moses came of age and came of power, he went out to try to help his people, to bring deliverance to his people, and they rejected him, and so Moses runs to a wilderness called Midian, and that's kind of where we were at the end of, of last week, and I, I found it so interesting as I was preparing this week thinking, you know, something I never noticed until just this past week is that Moses' story is actually the story of Joseph in reverse. So you think about joseph's story he's at home his brothers throw him into a deep pit he's then sold he's taken into egypt and eventually makes his way into the palace and in the palace the pharaoh gives him a home a wife he has children and he basically thinks "Eh, I'm done with my father's house but the lord's not done with him in his father's house the next time Joseph sees his brothers, he's their leader. They listen to him, they obey him, and they follow him into Egypt. That's Joseph's story. Now let's run it in reverse. What's Moses' story? Moses starts in the palace of Egypt. He goes to his brothers who reject him. He ends up at a large, deep hole in the ground, a well, where he finds a wife and a home and, and children and he thinks i'm done with my brothers but god's not done with moses and his brothers but the next time moses sees his brothers he's become their leader they listen to him they obey him and they follow him out of egypt back to where joseph's brothers started isn't that so amazing but, but we can't then see, we can't miss how, how that points us to Jesus who, who leaves the glories of heaven and comes to this earth who is rejected by his brothers, who's crucified and thrown into the earth but because he's God, he raises from the dead. And the next time he sees his brothers and appears to them, they might have think he's done with us, but he's not done with them. And he gathers his disciples, and he instructs them to make disciples. And so they listen to him, and they obey him, and they begin to follow him. Like, this is, this is so cool. Your Bible is so amazing. It's so much more than, like, don't do this and do this. Like, this is, this is the story of our redemption. I'm I'm so excited uh, to jump into things uh, today. So we're going to begin in verse number 23, verse number 23 of Exodus chapter number two. And we're going to, here's what we're going to talk about today, the cries of God's people. Right? Because here's the thing. I don't know if you've ever felt like this. Does God hear me? Does God hear my prayers? I'm sure we've all asked that question at some point, And we're going to find out today he does. But, listen, he doesn't necessarily answer the prayers you're praying for. He hears your prayers, and he works in ways for his glory to be seen. So let's let's find in verse 23 of Exodus chapter number 2. The Bible says, During those many days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So, so let's let's take these verses for just a moment. And, and remember, we're trying to look for echoes of Exodus. Where do we hear other portions of what we're reading throughout the Scripture? And right away in these first couple of words, we talk about the, the king of Egypt died. Hey, you know what? This is this is good news, right? Because the last time we saw a new king of Egypt was, was it right at the beginning of Exodus when it says a new king came that did not know Joseph. That king is the one who put them in slavery. He's the one who oppressed them. He's the one who forced their children to be uh, murdered when they were born and thrown into the Nile River. Now he's died. Ha ha. That's good news, right? A new king is coming. Well, if you know the story, you know that actually that doesn't change a thing. It's interesting how we, though, we're so quick to think that a new king is going to change things. You know, every time a Democrat gets into office, the Republicans think, "Oh, we need a Republican." Or every time the Republican gets in office, the Democrats are saying, we, we got to have a switch." Hey, hey, can I remind all of us that, that the heart of every king is in the hand of our God, right? So I, I, you may, or may you may or may not love the, the, the man sitting in the White House today. I'll tell you something he's not, he's not there because he wanted to get there. He's there because our God put him there and his hand is in our, his heart is in our God's hand. Just like we're going to find out this king of Egypt, his heart's in God's hand. We're going to find that out in just a few chapters. New king, he doesn't change a thing. New king around here isn't going to change the thing. We look to the one who continues to be the king forever and ever and ever, right? That's that's where we're at, but I want you to notice the words that describe Israel's response to their distress. In in yellow behind me are four times Israel makes a cry. They groaned, they cried, they cry, groaned, four times. In orange are God's responses. He heard, he remembered, he saw, and he knew oh do you think god wants you to be reminded today every time you cry i hear you i promise there's somebody here today who has been praying and thinking god's just not listening oh he is Four prayers Four answers, but, but notice the one that says remembered. Isn't that interesting to find out the word remembered being used about an omnipotent, all-knowing God? Wait, so you mean, you mean our all-knowing God forgot something and then he remembered something? Oh no, that's not what this word means at all. It means he's ready to act on something he has already promised. So it's not like I've forgotten my promise. It's I've made a promise. I'm remembering it now, meaning I'm going to put it into action. And so this is what, this is what God is going to do. And it's so cool because what, what he's remembering is his covenant to Abraham, Isaac, sorry, he's, he's remembering his covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that, that was made in Genesis. And we've looked at it many times. And that covenant says, your child your people, your offspring will be in a land that's not theirs. They're going to be, uh, they're, they're going to be servants. They're going to be afflicted. And in 400 years, I'm going to bring them back. That was, the, that was the promise. Now we see God remembers, so he's going to start acting on it. And although Moses and the people here don't necessarily get to see it, we know that God finishes that promise. Because the book of Joshua, which is many generations later, a few generations later, we read this Thus the Lord gave to Israel. All the land that he swore to give to their fathers and they took possession of it and they settled there Not one word of all the good promises that the lord had made to the house of israel had failed all came to pass God spoke a covenant. God remembered his covenant. God completed his covenant with abraham And I know you're sitting here saying well, that's great, but that was like thousands of years ago What does it have to do with me? Oh Do you know God made a covenant with you? Did you know that? God made a covenant with you. We're going to read, I'm going to show you. It's in Jeremiah, it's called the New Covenant if you understand the story of israel and we're gonna to have to skip past some things and we'll come back to it moses leads them out of egypt joshua leads them into the promised land and as we just read they got all of the land god had promised but during the many many years they lived in the promised land their heart turned from god and god said now listen the land's important but your heart is more important so he commands a foreign king whose name is Nebuchadnezzar to come in and take the people out of their land, this land that was so important to them, this land that we're looking at in Joshua where God finishes his covenant and this land is so important and he brings in, brings in this, this foreign power who takes them out of their land for 70 years as slaves and yet the prophets begin speaking and one particular prophet, Jeremiah, he watches this all unfold. He's seeing the temple of Jerusalem destroyed. He's seeing the walls of Jerusalem being torn down. In his mind, he's thinking, I've read what Moses wrote. This was the land that God promised to Abraham. He brought our people here. We're losing it all. And God begins to speak through Jeremiah to give hope to the people. And I want to read you. It says this behold the days are coming declares the lord when i will make a new covenant with the house of israel and the house of judah not like the covenant that i made with their fathers on the day when i took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of egypt my covenant that they broke though i was their husband declares the lord And i'm gonna pause right here you're saying pastor this doesn't talk about us this talks about israel and judah If you were here when we went through the book of Galatians, Paul said, if you have faith in Jesus, if you have faith in the Messiah, you are a child of Abraham and heir to the promises. So now we can read this and realize we're heir to these promises. And here's what Jeremiah continues to say. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and will write it on their hearts. No longer do we need the stone tablets. He's going to write directly on our hearts. We don't read it. We know it. And I will be their God, and they will be my people, and no longer shall each one teach their his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And get this, get this. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. That's a good covenant. I'm liking this covenant. When did it start? When did it start? when does it start come on like, come on interestingly at the last supper jesus gathers his disciples together they enjoy the passover meal and then he hands them some bread and then he hands them a cup and when he takes the cup this is what jesus says this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant In my blood. (laughs) When Jesus goes to the cross, that new covenant is placed into order. And that new covenant means you get to be the people of God and He gets to know you and you get to know Him and your sins and your iniquities can be forgiven. Yes, that means when we cry to God, He hears us and He acts, He remembers His covenant that He made with us. But you got to understand how he can do that. You think of the new covenant at the cross, but go back to the night before the cross. Jesus is praying in the garden of Gethsemane, Father, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Don't you hear my cries? Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And the cries of the very Son of God are met with silence. And Jesus hangs from the cross, and, it is, and the, the realization that his cries to the Father are being unmet finally leads him to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We have to understand the only way a holy God can keep a new covenant so that sinful people can be forgiven and can be his people as sinful people while he is a holy God, the only way he can respond to our cries is by not responding to the cries of the only one who deserved him to answer. Oh, the Father did not respond to the cries of Jesus with rescue and salvation because it was the only way he could respond to our cries with rescue and salvation. Oh, without the sacrifice of the Son of God, we have no chance of being sons of God. Jesus was not saved from God's wrath so that we could be. So when we pray, forgive me, he remembers that new covenant. (laughs) And he acts on it. And he gives forgiveness. And when Satan comes and he tries to say, Oh that, that that Brian boy, you know he he's he's a sinner, and Jesus steps in and says, Excuse me, you see, you see the blood? That's the new covenant. And he has been forgiven. Oh, man. Like, so now when, when we cry out, we have a God who is acting on his word in this new covenant. And this, the response of God, it's foreshadowed by what we read in Exodus. As the people cry out, God responds, but he doesn't just Free them from their slavery. What does he do? He raises up a deliverer. Because look at Exodus chapter 3. The people have just cried out. God has responded. And in verse 3, the scene completely shifts out of Egypt and goes right back to the wilderness. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Verse three, and Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight why the bush is not burned. Let me stop right there and go back to these verses for just a second. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, when the Lord came to him. Hey, you know what? This isn't the first time that a man was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, and God spoke to him. In Genesis, we find that Jacob was taking care of the flock of his father-in-law, Laban, when God said, it's time to go back to Canaan. Now, Moses is caring for the flock of his father-in-law, and God says, it's time to go back to Canaan. And it reminds us that when Jesus came, how he came. He came as a shepherd to care for the flock of his father to take us to our promised land Good, so good I want you to notice this text about The bush It says that the angel of the Lord Appeared in a flame of fire In the middle of the bush Now, now we often focus on that, that The bush is burned but it's not consumed Okay, I'm, I'm going to direct your attention Just a little bit differently I want you to notice the angel Who's in a flame of fire because we've seen an angel with a flaming fire in scripture already the last time was when adam and eve sinned and were sent from the garden and an angel was placed at the entrance of the garden with a flame of fire a sword flaming with fire and they were cast from the presence of god now, we see another angel and we see fire. That's a heavenly fire because it's not consuming what it's burning. And, and this is no longer being cast from God's presence, but this angel is about to call him into God's presence. So look at verse number three again. It says And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God Called to him out of the bush Time out I thought it was the angel of the Lord in the bush The angel of the Lord in the bush or God in the bush Someone said yes You're right Yeah Yeah That's what's so cool about our God. Just, well, we understand, we have to understand that when Jesus walked this earth, yes, he was manifesting himself in flesh, but he was fully God. This angel of the Lord, this messenger of God, the one sent by God, was standing in the bush, and yet when that angel speaks, it's God himself speaking. Wow. And notice what he says. It's highlighted because it's going to come into play real soon. Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And the angel and God said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am. The God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Do you see how clear it is where God continues to go back to this covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? I'm the God that made a covenant with him. That's who's talking to you right now. now. Now, what's so cool is we got to remember who the author of, of Exodus is it's Moses. And we gotta remember that Moses is also the author of Genesis. And Moses is not writing Exodus as it takes place. He's way down here, looking back across the corridor of time. And so Moses is sitting down as an old man, and I'm just picturing him taking the and he's like, Yeah, so so I was I was by the bush and and, and the angel of the Lord was there with flame and fire, and then God said, And I am the, the God of your and like like you know, it's so cool. This is not the first time that the angel of the Lord came to somebody and spoke, but it was really God speaking. Because when he told me he was the God of Abraham, he was reminding me I'm the God that showed up to Abraham in the same way. Because I made this covenant with Abraham that, that, that your children are going to be like the sands of the sea. And, and Abraham tried to, to make it happen by having a child with a, with a slave girl named Hagar. But God said, no, it's not like that. You're going to have a child with your wife, Sarah. And that baby is born. Isaac is born. And then God says, when Isaac is raised, give him back to me. Go sacrifice him on a mountain and so Abraham takes this child the only hope he has of that covenant coming true and he he raises a knife over his son at Mount Moriah are you with me you know where that happens and guess what happens the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said Abraham Abraham Moses Moses and he said here i am like moses is these right like abraham answered here i am guess what i did when the lord called me here i am and the angel of the lord says do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him for now i know that you fear god seeing you have not withheld your son your only son from the angel The angel says you've not withheld your son from me? Oh, I gotta, I gotta imagine. Moses has to be so excited to, as he ponders back of seeing that angel in the bush and coming to the realization the one sent by God standing in the bush was God, just like it was for Abraham. Abraham kills a ram, and then he hears this. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. There's no difference between the angel of the Lord and the Lord. Jesus is Yahweh. When we see in the New Testament, Jesus is Lord, that means Jesus is Yahweh. He is the name. He is the person of God. And he says, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will multiply your offspring. And here's where Abraham gets to hear again that covenant being spoken by God. And And Moses is writing this. And Moses is realizing that angel that was was in a flame of fire in the middle of this bush, that was... That was Jesus himself, and Moses has got to smile because he knows what's coming. You and I, we haven't read there yet, but Moses knows what's coming because he's writing because it's already taken place. Moses, he's got to go back to that time where he's talking to the Lord, and the Lord is so Furious At Israel And he says to Moses I'm not going to go with you to that land Those people are rebellious I will not go And Moses says You've got to come with us You're you're the reason we're going You've got to come with us And and God says I'm not going with you And Moses said If you don't go We're not going to go And God said Fine I'll send my angel before you And Moses Thinking Yeah God said He sent His angel trying to, trying to trick me. But I know that angel, that angel was God. He's never gonna leave His people. He's never gonna abandon His people. And I, I love how so much how this this whole thing ties with, with Moses seeing the angel and Abraham seeing the angel and realizing the one in the bush was the, was the one there present when Abraham raises his, his knife to, to kill his son and he says, don't, don't do it, don't do it. All the while knowing when it's he, when he's the son, when he's the son, when Jesus is the son, no one's gonna say, don't do it, don't do it. No one's gonna stop the son of God. from truly being the sacrifice that was needed. Jesus, the one sent by God, would give his life as an acceptable sacrifice so that the new covenant can be fulfilled so that you and I can be one of God's own people, fully known and fully forgiven man that excites my heart because you know what we deserve right we deserve the wrath two weeks ago after church joan wright walked up to me with her husband raymond said he he wants to talk to you i love it when a wife always says he wants to talk to you I said, Ray, what could I do for you? Man, big old tears in his eyes. It's time. It's time. I need to get saved. And we slipped into my office and I sat there with him and we we talked through who Jesus was and what Jesus offers. And when when we bowed our heads and I heard Raymond pray in his own words, God, I know. I don't deserve it, but will you forgive me for my sin? <laughs> Guess what? God heard that and he acted on it. And the new covenant became alive in Raymond because now he's one of God's own. And God knows him and he can know God. And his sins can be forgiven and his iniquities forgotten forever. Oh. Yeah. And this isn't this isn't supposed to to make us be able to live a life that says it doesn't matter what I do. Ha ha ha. Now that I know all I have to do is pray and ask for forgiveness and I can get it. No, no, no. It's not supposed to give us a freedom and a license to live a life of uh, uh, of sin saying all I have to do is ask forgiveness. It's supposed to drive us to our knees in humility to understand, "I don't deserve what he's offering." And it's only because he didn't listen to the cries of his own son that he will listen to my cry, and he'll invite me into his presence. Do we deserve what Adam and Eve got? And that's angels standing there saying, You do not get to enter the presence of holiness. That's what we deserve. But what we get is this invitation come. But we have to see what happened to Moses. The closer he got to that bush, whoa, stop. You can't come like that. Take off your shoes because the place you're standing, holy Christ. was talking with a dear friend this week and he was talking about how the holiness of god is looked at with disdain often in churches we love to talk about the love of god and the mercy of god but we don't like the holiness of god because it reminds us that we're not holy but the angels in heaven don't fly around his throne singing love 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 they don't, they don't fly around His throne saying merciful, merciful, merciful. They fly around His throne and declare He is holy, He is holy, He is holy, He is holy. And only those who are holy can come into His presence. But we're not holy. We're not. holy. Through Jesus can we come. But we have got to understand if we want this revival that we cheered for and we clapped for and we saw, we have to understand we don't get revival on our terms. We're going to sing tonight. You know what? Singing is not revival. You know what revival is? Revival is drawing closer to God and seeing our sin exposed and doing something about it. Because had Moses drawn close to that holy ground in his shoes, he would not have been the one leading Israel out to their exodus. He would have died in the holiness of God in his unholy state. I listened, or, or watched, I'm sorry, read, many articles about the Asbury Revival this week. One of them, I was sitting at our kitchen table Friday night when I got home after visiting my friend in Atlanta, and I I began reading, and it was a man who was interviewing someone who was at the Asbury Revival in the 1970s, and you may or may not know that same place experienced a great revival in the 70s. And they were interviewing a man, and now he's definitely much older, and this this is what just stuck out to me. He said, He said you know in christianity it used to be common for us to hear die to self we don't hear that in christianity anymore what we hear is i want to be comfortable and what we desire for revival is hey god come but make sure that it's between 10 30 and eleven thirty 30 on a sunday morning that i'm actually there in church then bring revival and and i don't have to change i would like you to change to accept the way that i am and then bring revival i read that on friday night saturday morning i was sitting at the kitchen table before coming here to pray and prepare for today. And and here's what I I read. Somebody that was at the Asbury Revival on Friday night said, I was there, and I don't remember if it was a student or a teacher, but it was someone connected currently with the university in their 20s, stood up in front of the crowd, and a part of their testimony was, I just want to ask everyone here, please, please, We must, as Christians, we must follow the call of Christ to die to self. I just read that guy yesterday said that's gotta happen and now they're calling for it and do we have to sit there and wonder why people are experiencing revival it's not about the songs that they're singing it's not because there's a whole bunch of people together it's because people are realizing the only way I get into the presence of God is I change I've gotta take my shoes off because those shoes have walked in unholy places and I am coming before a holy God and so search me And so know me and show me if there's any wicked way in me and I will change. That's how this church will see revival. It won't see revival because we're comfortable to come in on a Sunday morning for an hour and sing and share and pray and walk out. No, we have got to decide. We want to draw close to God and we'll make whatever change he shows in our lives as he asks. Yeah, see, a true sense of revival, a true sign of revival is not just a joyful sense of God's presence. But as you draw closer to him, it's the heavy, heavy, heavy weight of our sinfulness. <laughs> but the good news is the new covenant I feel I'm a sinner. Yes. And if you ask, I'll forgive. And we'll remember it no more. But if you want revival, you gotta come. We gotta get that sin out. And then we gotta do some surgery. And we have to remove what's taken, why that sin keeps coming back. Revival isn't, I just want to be forgiven. Revival is I'm willing to change. All I want to do at the end of the service this evening, this morning, is to give you a chance to say, God, I want to draw close to your presence. But I know you're holy. And I know I'm not. And I know you can forgive me. And so the first thing I do is ask forgiveness, and I know you'll remember and act on that new covenant but lord i also want to know what needs to change and then you have to decide whether you will or not and that's going to determine whether we get to experience revival presence of god is sweet presence of our sin is heavy the new covenant can bring us joy the service is over And you can just stay here and pray as long as you want. I'm going to pray down here. You're welcome to come to the front of the auditorium and pray with me. You're welcome to pray at your seats. You're welcome to pray with someone. I'm not asking you how you need to come into God's presence, but I don't want you to leave until you are willing to do so. If you want someone to pray with you, tap me on the shoulder. Pastor Mike, any of our deacons and leaders would be happy to pray with you. Any of our ladies would be happy to pray with you. But we're not going to get together and sing a closing song. We're just going to have an opportunity to come before the presence of God and say, I want you.